All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the second recording of this week, our Evolution of a Viper episode. I am one of your co-hosts, Johnny Podcasts. I'm joined now by Jesse the Body for this week's edition of the Turnbuckle Post. How are we doing tonight, Jesse? Doing very well. Trying to fight off sleep from a very, uh, very hefty dinner that basically my eyes were bigger than my stomach. So... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we've all been there. Gets the right. best of us. Anything anything good tonight? Yeah, we stopped at Texas Roadhouse when on my way back from the uh comic book shop. Nice. That's yeah. Nice, nice little Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Wednesdays are gonna be our date nights because of her work schedule and mine. So Well that's cool. We're gonna try to shoot for Wednesday as our date nights. It's it's nice to be able to do that every once in a while. It is. <laughs> yeah. So it's the wife and I usually try for a Friday night every once in a while. But anyway, I guess I guess we're not hosting a podcast about our personal lives. <laughs> so um we'll uh tonight's show we're gonna we're gonna talk in depth about uh Randy Orton and then we're also going to and I, I don't have like a firm structure on it. I just was kinda got, kinda thinking chronologically probably we'll go through his career. And then um, we're going to kick it off tonight by just kind of recapping Raw and SmackDown since we went heavy into the AEW uh, on our last episode. So, uh, Jesse, have you got a chance to watch Raw and SmackDown yet? What what impressions do you have? Uh, what things stuck out to you? Well, yeah, I have watched um, the only episode I'm behind on for Raw is this week's current one, but I read the spoilers. I know what happened. Okay. Um, so when you said I was right, I'm assuming you're referring to the Cedric Alexander heel turn joining the Hurt Business. Yeah, that was it. Um, it was uh, not, I mean, I can't say it was surprising just because he kept getting his butt kicked. So at some point you, you just go with the flow and join that other team. Um, well, I just thought, I thought it was going to head that way just because of, you know, they've been trying to recruit him for a while, but even at the very beginning, his inclusion in the group just made sense. Yeah, I agree. Because they all have a different, diverse set of talents. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it made sense to have, you know, a different, diverse group. Like I said, you got MVP, who's the older veteran speaker of the group. Mm-hmm. And then you got Shelton Benjamin, who's a mix of that of that veteran and power. You got Bobby right. Lashley, who's the main power of the group. And mm-hmm. then you got your high flyer, Cedric Alexander. Yeah, they and, and they'll be able to do a lot of different things. And it'll give, you know, as you said, as we talked about, it'll give Cruz and ricochet and maybe even ali somebody to work with and and have a natural rivalry with because cedric turned on them like that so it'll be good and um uh, i i thought it was interesting you know literally just last week we were talking about how about how it was weird that alistair black has never shown up on um raw underground and sure enough (laughs) that's where (laughs) he and kevin owens got into a scuffle this past week on on raw uh that lasted pretty much most of the episode of uh, the uh, occurrence of Raw Underground this week. I had a little pregnant pause there, but um, but yeah. So that that kind of came to a head. So we'll see what happens going forward with those two. Obviously, I think they that's going to be Alistair's first big heel feud is with Kevin Owens. Then I, I think it'll be good for both of them, honestly, because neither one of them have had anything to sink their teeth into. I mean. And I hate to say this, but Alistair's been kind of a bust since he came to the main roster as far as being – so maybe being a heel will be good for him, maybe rejuvenate him a little bit. And even with, with Kevin Owens, 
Kevin Owens can kind of walk that fine. I think they'll have some great matches together. Definitely. Uh, and Kevin is a guy that can talk the talk, and Alistair's a guy that can walk the walk. And I think between the two of them, I think they're going to they're gonna have a really good feud. Hopefully it's not overdone. I will, I will say that is one thing that WWE really – that's one of my biggest pet peeves is these constant rematches and constant – I would rather just see a definitive series. Like we were talking about with uh, Orange Cassidy and Jericho last night. They had three matches. And so you had a decisive winner. You didn't lose track of what was going on. There was a, there was a continuing feud, but there wasn't a match every week that diluted any value of that final pay-per-view blow-off. And I, I'd like to see more of that in WWE. It doesn't have to be three matches. It can be seven, but have a definitive number of matches where it's clear to the viewer at home or anyone keeping track who won that feud. And I think that elevates your talent better. Well, yeah. And, and we could even say, I mean, they had this problem even before the pandemic. I mean, you could say with the pandemic, yeah, well, you know, they have just a limited roster, but even before that, there were so many rematches going on. Like I, I think I remember specifically between Corbin and Rollins or, you know, that, oh, that whole shield against, um, Strowman, Ziggler, and Corbin. It was it was just like every every week they would do it. It's like, come on, there's got to be something fresh and new you guys can do. Yeah, it it doesn't have to. I mean, you can elevate somebody else like and include them in the feud, and they just they don't do that. It's like, okay, we're gonna see Sheamus and Randy Orton five thousand times, and by the end of it, you're gonna be begging us to stop, or we're gonna see. And I love. Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair, but I don't want to see them wrestle five thousand times. I want that. I want their matches to have value to them. I don't want it to be that fifty-fifty booking, which you know that's another thing that WWE has put themselves in that corner, and they don't seem to be riding the ship on it. And yeah, and just to explain what fifty-fifty booking is to anyone that might not be familiar with that term. It just means I beat Jesse this week, Jesse beats me the next week, then I beat Jesse the following week, and then Jesse beats me the next week, and no one ever gets a definitive victory. It's just it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, it's like, like NXT, and I think that's where they kind of prevail a little bit because even though I haven't gotten to it yet, I did read about the Ciampa Gargano affair. They had three major matches. Mm-hmm. From from takeovers and there was a definitive winner in that. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, they traded wins two twice, but then they had a definitive winner on that third match, and then the one that they had earlier this year, which was their kind of final blow off match. I think the way they structured that feud, from what I read about it, and I can't wait to watch it, it was was done really well. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's part of what wrestling should be. I mean, it, we obviously we know it's staged, we know it's predetermined, but it should elevate certain talent and then it should give the guy that loses the feud. It gives him an opportunity to redeem himself later on down the road. When you book them as equals, it doesn't matter who who's good and who's bad. And there's no reason for someone to be a heel or a face really other than just because the storyline calls for it. But if someone is physically better and more skilled than another person and that other person cheats to beat them, then that's going to resonate with the crowd. They're going to be angry at that heel for cheating to beat someone that's better than them. And they're going to support the baby face because they are better than them. And the 50, 50 booking kind of takes away from that. In my, in my estimation, 
I don't well, know. Well, they, they did do a good thing with um, Black and Murphy when, when they had their little feud. They had a definitive winner in that. I think they had three matches. Right. And Murphy won one, Black won the other two, so Black came out the winner, but they both came out looking good. Yeah, definitely. Definitely not. And, yeah, you brought up Murphy, and, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a rant in me about the end of that Raw. <laughs> that go, go right, go right yeah, ahead. I mean, it's not – I don't have an entire rant about it, but it's just – it never looks good when you have a group of faces teaming up to beat down a heel, whether it's Ray Mysterio and his wife and his daughter and his son or not. It doesn't matter if the guy has he, Seth Rollins obviously wasn't coming out to help him. So you have four people beating down Bur- Buddy Murphy with kendo sticks. And it's like, uh, and he's supposed to be the villain. I mean, I understand he's getting his comeuppance, but it, it was, in my estimation, it was a burial. It seemed, I, I know that maybe they have plans for him later on down the line, but I, I think that Buddy Murphy's a lot better talent than they're, than they're using him for at this point. And I hope, I hope to see him get worked into a program with Seth as a result of this. I hope, uh, obviously, you know, that's my opinion right now is based on one week of seeing what they've done with him post Seth kind of throwing him to the curb. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, um, excuse me. But it, that was just disappointing to me. It just it doesn't make it doesn't make the faces look good. It makes them look like bullies, especially when two of them are, you know, rostered athletes. Even if Ray has an injured tricep or whatever he injured this time. Well, and it's not like you know, it's like <clears throat> Seth just the week before, you know, like you said, kicked Murphy to the curb. So that it could have been kind of like his going on a path of redemption. But when you have, like you said, four faces beating him down, like. He's still still a heel when he'd already been humiliated the week before. That just doesn't make it doesn't make anybody look good coming out of that. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, it makes your makes your faces look like heels because that's what we've been conditioned is you know the guy that has the doesn't have the numbers that gets beat down is the is the sympathetic baby face, and the people that use numbers are heels. You know, but you look at the Shield, the NWO all these things over the years where, I mean, the shield became faces later on because they were just too cool to, and NWO kind of too, but, but they use the numbers to their advantage. That's been the whole point of stables since the beginning of wrestling. And they've, that kind of defeats the purpose, I think. Right. But that's just me. And that's, you know, I, I think if it was a talent, I didn't care anything about, I probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't bother me as much, but since it's, it's Buddy Murphy, and it's a guy I, I think highly of. Uh, I was a little irritated about it, but I, I, I guess I don't have a rant in me like you had last night. But that's well, as close as I could come. Well, and and we got to wait and see, you know, what 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 this leads to, what this leads to for next week, right? So it's kind of a you know, it's just kind of a wait and see approach on, yeah. on as far as that goes. Yeah, and that's fair. And then and you know, nothing nothing in wrestling is going to be told in a week, so. It, like I said, that's just my initial gut reaction to it. But obviously, you know, things change, and my opinion will change based on what happens going forward. Well, the other significant news item that came out of they we finally got the Bailey Sasha Banks split. I gotta yeah. say, I think that this leading up to this, they built it up very, very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish it would have happened in front of a live crowd. I think that would, I think it would have been awesome if it would have. I right. mean, just to hear that reaction alone, it would have been you know, blowing the roof off the place, but in this time and era, you know, obviously they can't right now, but right. I, I think it was a good, I think it was a good beat down by Bailey. She and Sasha, I think really sold it. Well, I, 
I don't see Sasha returning for a while, maybe close to the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. I think what's going to happen is maybe she'll win the Royal Rumble mm-hmm. and they'll set up a match for Mania between the two of them. Yeah, and that's what that's something that we had discussed previously was we, you know I think that's exactly what's going to happen is that that's going to be Sasha's redemption arc is she's going to have to go through hell and win the Royal Rumble and all that just to get a shot at Bailey, but when she does, she'll hopefully be able to win the feud and win the title at WrestleMania. And if they I, could do just a fraction of what they did in 2015, yeah, their matches are going to be awesome. I hope they don't handcuff them and they let them go all out like they did in their 2015 matches that they had in Brooklyn and the uh, Iron Woman match because those matches were just fantastic and they're capable of pulling it off. So. Yeah, most definitely. I, I agree 100% on that. It's, it's a, I'm excited to see what happens. And that, that was a vicious beatdown by Bailey. Uh, it was not what I expected for them to break up like that and absolutely vicious and it, it looked it looked bad and it was and now she's storyline injured and like you said probably take a couple months off and then be ready for the new year and hopefully i was reading today that they're hoping to have some version of live fans at the royal rumble uh we'll see how things change between now and then Obviously, I, I hope for that. Uh, as I said last night, AEW is having like 10 to 15% of a, a capacity crowd right now. So we'll see if maybe WWE can do something like that or maybe even more with some more safety. They have obviously have a, have a budget to do more safety stuff than maybe AEW does at this point. So they may be able to have more people just because they can do it safely. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. I'm not going to speculate on anything. But that's that was a report I had read today. I don't know if you'd saw it as well. Yeah, and, and, and you know, this thing could go away completely by the end of the year or it could be just <clears throat> to a point where they don't have to have the strict guidelines that they've been having with it. I mean, we, we just don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a wait and see every every day. Every day, you know, is, is something different. So, yeah, and that's that's true. And it's we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed and hope things can get back to as close to normal as we can hope for and you know uh, that's that's all i want to get into about that i don't want to have a uh, eight-hour discussion about covid so but but hopefully we get to have fans and and get to get back to live events like that you know sooner than later but we all just have to be patient right now so yeah and then and we found out that jay uso won that fatal four-way to meet roman i I think this accomplishes a couple of goals Mm mm-hmm it gives Roman a chance to work with somebody who's he's close to, mm-hmm. but also give him the beat down that somebody's going to trust him with to make, I think this is going to be, he's going to totally beat Jay down to make him more of a heel to get, you know, to get his heel persona over more. Yeah, I agree. They have that familial connection. So having him laid an absolute beat down on him is the exact right move because that's going to be the most sympathetic move also is, you know, Jay, this is his first, singles title opportunity that I'm aware of and at least in WWE and you know Roman probably is just going to bury him or not bury him but he's going to beat him down pretty good and I think it'll it'll get sympathy on Jay and maybe maybe they're looking at pushing him as a single star later on down the line I'm not sure what their plans are I know Jimmy's been having some some personal issues that have kind of derailed him a little bit and we you know obviously we hope for the best for him as well but maybe they're giving Jay an opportunity because he is available to work. So. Yeah, and that, that's that's purely what I expect at Clash of Champions. I expect Roman to just 
pure, purely just beat him down and maybe even do a, a stretcher job, take him to the local medical facility because <laughs> for some strange reason they're outlawed on saying hospital. Yeah. But <laughs> I, would... I can totally see, you know, Roman just giving him a, a butt whooping and, and Jay making it look good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, those local medical facilities are super helpful. Yeah. I think they just use that ambulance on Raw and just go forward in reverse with it. I don't think it actually leaves the building. No, that that's your local medical vehicle. It's oh, not an ambulance. Me. Excuse me. Your local <laughs> medical Uber. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's silly. But some of the yeah, things that, that Vince <laughs> Vince gets stuck in his mind that are important are just goofy. I, I do get the, the belt thing that kind of sticks out now I'm, that I'm watching Nitro and they always call it a belt. I'm like, yeah, that does kind of sound like less than prestigious, but at the same time, it's not a, it's not taking, obviously I know what they're talking about, but it, it, right. it kind of simplifies it a little bit. Also uh, from Raw, I guess we could also say that Retribution spoke. They didn't really uh, tease anything other than maybe it's people that have either worked for WWE before or been in developmental that didn't think they got a fair shake and they made some some comments about it and, and there's still a lot to be played out with that and I, I honestly think they're still writing it as they go. Um, well, yeah, and, and they need to be a little more consistent with it because we did not see them on SmackDown or Payback and then mm-hmm. we saw them on, on just Raw. It's like, all right, you're, you're having them attack people at these different intervals and on both shows, but they need to be more consistent with it because if they're not, people are going to lose interest with the angle pretty quickly. Well, and, and to, to be to be fair and to be critical, uh, somewhat critical of WWE, they don't have a good history of paying these types of things off. No. Like, we don't, we still don't know who the SmackDown hacker was. I, I think it was going to be set up to be Ali, Mustafa Ali, but for whatever reason, that plan was dropped. And then, you know, we still, the Hornswoggle ended up being the MacGuffin for who is Vince McMahon's illegitimate child and Oh, don't forget, he was also the anonymous Raw Raw. general manager. A storyline that played out over a year. They really could have went hit for the field, for the ballpark with that one, and they just took a complete cop out. It was like, oh, it was Hornswoggle all along that was doing this. What? Yeah, it just (laughs) played off as a joke after it annoyed people and actually garnered pretty decent heel heat for several years. Or not several years, but over the course of a year at least, that people were just getting fed up with it, and the the anonymous raw GM had uh, real heat with the crowd that they were just sick of it and it was working. And then they just blow it off by saying, Oh yeah, it was Hornswoggle all along. So, (laughs) so I don't, I want, I want it to work out. I want it to be something interesting and something for the wrestlers to sink their teeth into, but I just, I don't have faith in WWE to be able to do that. And, and that's just from, it's not me being negative. It's just a history of them not paying those types of things off. In a, in a, they always have good builds, but then it's like it peters out when when the when the reveal happens. It's right, like, like the corporate ministry, and you know, this man set everything up just to have his own daughter kidnapped and almost sacrificed, just so he could mess with Steve Austin's mind a little bit. Yeah, it was very anticlimactic. Yeah, and it's you know, it's, I think. There was another group that I think the Nexus teased a higher power that never, never materialized. Well, see, I actually read for that corporate ministry storyline. 
it was actually going to be Jake Roberts. Oh, that would be cool. It was had some issues at the time that they could never work that out. But that was the original plan was to have Jake Roberts be revealed as that higher power. Oh, that that actually would have been pretty cool. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I I, I'm very happy that Jake is doing well in his personal life now, and that he's back performing, and he seems to be sticking to his sobriety. So you know, good for him. Uh, That's obviously something we want to see. I'd I'd rather see less of the guys I grew up watching dying from drug overdoses or heart problems than you know I'd like to see less of that and it's you know him and Scott Hall have been doing really well with their recoveries and uh definitely credit to them for sticking to it I know I'm kind of taking a side road here but uh just obviously we want people that need help to get help so I think that's a great thing yeah it's it's always it's always neat when you can hear about your childhood heroes that have those redemption stories and that end up you know going down going down down a good path and it doesn't take yeah. them straight yeah definitely and it's you know it's sad to me to read you know to like watch beyond the mat and you see jake, jake you know smoking crack cocaine in his his uh apartment i'm sorry hotel room instead of spending time with his daughter that actually came to see him and you know you know that he's at the bottom of the you know pit there and it's it's really rewarding and 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 comforting to see that he's climbed out of that and the, if, if you haven't seen the resurrection of Jake Roberts, it's a great documentary. Uh, oh yeah, it's 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 yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I you know I I like DDP as a performer. I think sometimes he's high in his own supply on other things, but but he you know he definitely helped both of those guys save their lives, and uh, you know credit to him for that, and credit to him for keeping them accountable to their sobriety. So anyway. <laughs> Off of my semi soapbox <laughs> there, um, so that's that's, a, that's about the only things that big that came, big that came out of Raw and SmackDown that I can think of. Yeah, uh, that I, it wasn't super noteworthy. I know uh, Drew Claymore kicked Randy Orton three times, and that was about it. I, I I that doesn't make me any more excited to see them fight. Um, I was already excited about that match to begin with, so. They don't have to keep doing this up the anything to to build my anticipation for it. It's going to be a good match. Well, it looks because... like they're doing kind of a slow burn too. If Keith <clears throat> Lee maybe facing Randy Orton, yeah, definitely. I think I think they're going to have another match. At some or, or I'm sorry, Drew McIntyre is what I meant to say, because Drew oh. has interfered in two of his two times now with him going against Randy Orton. Oh, that's that could be too. I, I there's mean... speculation online that Keith Lee is getting tired of Drew messing around in his matches. You know, since yeah. he just debuted on Raw. Yeah, I, I hope they don't turn Keith, but it would be good to see maybe them in a face face versus face because, you know, those are two huge guys that can do things that you wouldn't think that they'd be able to do and incredibly athletic and incredibly gifted performers that I definitely would like to see them wrestle for sure. Um, oh, there, there's a whole slew of people that I'd love to see Keith Lee get, oh, get in the ring with and wrestle. I mean, the, the potential is just yeah. being kind of cliche here, but his potential is limitless. So, oh, oh, look at you drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> Not since I said stratos- stratosphere a couple of weeks ago have we had so much <laughs> corporate synergy. Uh, <laughs> all right. We're ready to talk about the, why we're here tonight. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get started with the evolution of a Viper. So, Randy Randall Keith Orton is the son of of cowboy bob orton 
he's also the nephew of Barry Orton and the grandson of Bob of another Bob Orton. So he is a third generation su- superstar, much like The Rock or Tessa Blanchard or uh, let's see who else is there, Jess. I can't think off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm having a little trouble myself. I guess uh, Kurt, Curtis Axel, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is a third-generation wrestler. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, there we go. All right, we did it. I'm so <laughs> proud we came up with three. So And, uh, Bob, and, and his, his dad, Bob Orton, is, is actually significant for the first WrestleMania because he actually played a factor in the finish of the very first WrestleMania main event. Right. And he was he was the corner man for Piper and Orner, right? Yes, and he yeah. had the cat. Yeah, you know, for the majority of his career, he's remembered as the guy with the cast on his arm mm-hmm. that he always used as a illegal foreign object that ended up costing them um, the match in that main event. Oh, okay, yeah, that's that was his big that was his big gimmick. And from what I had read in researching this episode, <clears throat> evidently Bob did not really want Randy to get involved in wrestling. He, uh, you know, he he pursued amateur wrestling in high school, and then he enlisted in the Marines uh, as he got out of high school. And unfortunately that didn't work out for him. Uh, he got AWOL. I think he ended up going AWOL, didn't he? Yeah, he went AWOL a couple of times. And then uh, he's had to serve 38 days in a brig uh, for going AWOL because he was court-martialed. And then he was dishonorably discharged from the Marines. And I think part of that was, I, I remember watching a confidential episode where his dad was talking about that. And he said that, you know, he basically... He, he realized it wasn't for him, and he did that so he could get out and then go into the wrestling business. So, which happens a lot of times. A lot of the times, these guys don't want their kids to get involved. But fortunately, well, for well us, they, they they know. Uh, th- well, you got to think too. Back then, wrestling was very different than it is now. So, Bob sure. Orton was thinking about you know how he came up in wrestling. He didn't want his son to go through that. I don't think he realized how much the business had changed. Where now. You know, these superstars are getting they're getting downside guarantees. They're getting big money contracts where back when his dad and grandfather wrestled, you you got paid for how many butts you put in the seats. So you could only get paid maybe 60, 70 dollars a night to work. And then you'd have to go to the next town to to make another 60 or 70 dollars. And he didn't want his son, I don't think, to go through that. No, and that's that's completely understandable. We always want better for our kids than we do for ourselves. And and to know what he had to go through, I'm sure driving, you know, to staying in sketchy motels and driving hundreds of miles a night after working for, you know, $200 is probably not anything anyone wants for their kid. So it's completely understandable why he wouldn't, why him and his wife wouldn't have wanted him to be a part of that. So, but, but he obviously, like we said, he, he left the military uh, and he decided to go into wrestling and he trained under his, uh, under his father and um sorry just a second here he was trained by his father and dave finley um in the missouri so at uh st louis wrestling club which was was uh from sam mushnick who used to run that territory back when during the territorial days so we don't know a whole lot about that portion of his uh, wrestling tenure, but we do know out of that, he got a developmental deal with WWE to report to Ohio Valley Wrestling. Which, for people that know, OVW was the farm system for WWE before FCW, which eventually morphed into NXT. But, I mean, he, he yeah, I think it was 
early 2000 and he was in there with a great class of people because you had guys like Batista, John Cena, Brock Lesnar that were all in that class with him. Yep, definitely. Yeah, they're they're widely known as the the class of 2002 because that was that was the big one. That was Orton, Cena, Brock Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin was in there. Yeah, Shelton Benjamin. Yeah, too. That, I, I want to say there was more than that too, and I I just can't. I don't mean to do any disrespect to anyone, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So, uh, Randy Randy debuted in 2002 on SmackDown, and uh, I remember him pretty vividly I, i've always been a fan of his to be to be quite frank uh there's times where i get bored with him and we'll get into that in a little while but but he showed up with uh blue trunks and pinstripes on down the sides and he had orton on on the back and they were actually shorts not trunks and he used the overdrive as his finisher which is this like needlessly complex face yeah i remember seeing that move and i'm like man this looks like the most difficult finishing move in the world where his opponent has to stand there for like 25 seconds for so he can execute this move. Yeah, it's so unnatural. And yeah, very. Every guy that uses it as a finisher drops it. I think, I think MVP used it for a while when he started. Yeah, I think he did. It, yeah, it's just like, it, it just I think looks, he called it the playmaker. Yeah, it, it just looks so weird. I, I, there's nobody that can pull that off smoothly, I don't think. And, <laughs> but, Fortunately for for Randy and for us, uh, and you know, well, actually not fortunately for Randy, but he broke his uh, collarbone, I believe. And uh, that was when I really, really took notice of him. Was he had his arm in a sling and he kept interrupting segments, doing these things called RNN, where he would give an update on his condition, and he was he was very slowly turning heel, and he was just so good at being this like cocky, smarmy self-important heel that it was just that you gravitated toward it immediately i don't know if that stuck out to you or not uh to be honest i don't remember a lot of that uh this might have been around around a time where i was sporadically kind of watching wrestling here or there i was going through some personal issues around this time so oh okay i, I didn't i mean I, I i kept up on the product but probably not like i do now <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and this was actually getting towards the time when I when I checked out um after 2000 or I'm sorry, after WrestleMania 20, it was about a 5-year gap between um uh, when I was involved with it, but um but so uh after Orton came back from his injury, he redebuted as part of Evolution, which is a famous stable with Triple Triple H, Randy Orton, Dave Bautista, and Ric Flair. And they basically ran roughshod over the Raw roster for the better part of a uh, little more than a year, probably. And... Yeah, it was it was. Um, I don't think they originally they wanted Randy in the group. Um, I think... Mark Jindrak. They, well, no, it was they... it was originally Mark Jindrak, but he yeah. something didn't click with him, so they went ahead. and I think they grabbed Batista. Orton was oh, is that what it was? Oh. Yeah, Batista. Oh, okay. But Orton was always an original member. But I remember when they talked about it at first. They, they weren't sure if they could because because Orton, you know, we could talk about his personal demons, but he was very immature mm-hmm. and very. Uh, just wasn't as committed, I guess, as they thought he should be, but he ended up being very committed to the evolution thing, I think, because they gave him, you know, something to really sink his teeth into. Right. And, and during that time, he developed that that legend killer persona where, you know, uh, any kind of legend that would show up on raw you were you were expecting randy orton 
and, and during this time, he had also uh, picked up the RKO as his finisher, which is something that I didn't, I just kind of skipped over. But so basically, it's a, it's the same thing as a diamond cutter or or a stunner where you lay down. And Randy Orton has become a meme because he <laughs> hits it in the most crazy ways possible. Like, for instance, Evan Bourne, who Matt Seidel that we talked about last night, he did a shooting star press and Randy Orton jumped up and RKO'd him as he was coming down from it. Or there was a time at WrestleMania where Seth Rollins went for a curb stomp and Randy Orton flipped him up in the air and caught him on the way down into an RKO. Yeah, that and, was that was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's he's done it so many different creative ways that it's it's always entertaining to see how he pulls that thing out. And um, and so he he picked that up and and it's just little little by little, piece by piece, he started to to gain to define what his character was. And the legend killer thing was was huge for him because it, it gave him that notoriety. I mean, I think he punted Dusty Rhodes in the head. I know he attacked, he wrestled Hulk Hogan, but that was later on. Uh, there was a lot of different things that he did to blatantly disrespect legends. And he would, during that time, he would wrestle Shawn Michaels. I think, I want to say Randy was the one that got the deciding pinfall for uh, Steve Austin, happened to retire at Survivor Series in 2003. I think he beat Michaels in that match and um, just just a lot of those things. And um, it was during this time also that Randy Orton said, you know, what bigger, what better way to kill a legend than to become a champion? And he took on uh, Rob Van Dam and took took the Intercontinental title. So at that point, I, I want to say Evolution was holding all the gold uh, with Triple H as the world heavyweight champion. Orton is an Intercontinental Champion, and then Batista and Ric Flair held the tag titles, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, you're right. Yep, so um, so he defended that Intercontinental title for quite a while. He actually even had a match with Mick Foley. That was a uh, no-holds-barred or a whatever kind of stipulation you want to call it, no disqualification, where Mick Foley threw him on thumbtacks and all kinds of stuff, and, and that was kind of significant for his character, too, because he had been seen as this pretty boy entitled you know twerp and Mick Foley is one of the most hardcore respected badass wrestlers in the history of WWE especially but all over, all over the world and he kind of put him through the woodshed for a little bit and Orton came it was out a bur- yeah it was yeah. I remember seeing that live it was a brutal match I mean Orton oh, walked yeah. out there with pack stuck in his body I mean he really I think he showed management and everybody else that he could go with the best of them, you know, and what better way to prove yourself in a hardcore environment than going against the king of hardcore, Mick Foley. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I want to say that Mick Foley, he really gave to the business, especially, you know, when he was past his time with, you know, with that match and with the match with edge at, uh, was that WrestleMania 22? I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Where edge speared him through the flaming table. He he made those guys look like a million bucks, and it, it really helped both of them. And you know, they became the face of the company as as you know the older generation started to retire. So uh, jumping into two thousand four, two thousand five, that's when Randy Orton became the youngest heavyweight champion in the history of WWE by defeating Chris. Yeah, Rick. and that, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to say. It he he that was his very first world heavyweight title win. And they mm-hmm. talk about him being the, but they'll never be able to talk about that match. They'll never show highlights of that match because yeah. of the performer that he took the title from, 
Of course, we're right. talking about Benoit. And that's unfortunate that, that that'll never be talked about, that that'll never be – all they'll say was that he was the youngest world heavyweight champion ever, but he'll, they'll never show highlights of that or even talk about that. Yeah, and I, I honestly think that, unfortunately – uh, I think part of that too was as as a swipe at uh, Brock Lesnar, because this was after he had left, <clears throat> and Brock was the youngest. And what better way to swipe at Brock than to make someone else the you know the youngest heavyweight champion, so you don't have to talk about Brock anymore. But maybe that's just my the way I look at it. Um, no, but, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think yeah. WWE was was a little mad because Brock, you know. Kind of yeah. left, kind of left him high and dry. You know, he was touted as the next big thing, and he was. I mean, for two years, he he was on top of the world, but he just and then he just kind of left, and I think that really stuck in Vince's crawl for a long time. Yeah, and, and the lawsuits and the things like that didn't help either. Uh, obviously, you know, WWE for better or worse, you know, they they can do business to do business, but they can be extremely petty when they feel like they've been wronged, especially Vince McMahon and. It's just it's kind of a double edged sword sometimes, and I I understand, and I I felt I was I was like I said I like Orton, so I was I was happy about it at the time, and more more in retrospect, it seems like it was probably too much too soon, but it did lead to uh, him obviously the next night you know Batista has him up on his shoulders and uh, they set him up basically as. Triple H did the thumbs down and they dropped Randy Orton and beat him down and kicked him out of evolution because, you know, no one was allowed to be bigger than. So he was a, officially a face for the first time since he debuted uh, after that beatdown, And he engaged in a feud with Triple H himself. But he, he was more of a transitional champion. Like you said, I think they and this even makes lends more credence to what you were saying about them just getting the title on to be the youngest world champion ever because he mm-hmm. didn't in his first title defense he lost it i think it was unforgiven where he lost it for triple h beating for the title and he never he didn't get another title shot again for a while after that yeah and i think i think they probably realized that it was too much too much too soon and um so then then he kind of he was still in the main event picture i mean I, I don't know if he's actually really ever left the main event picture to be fair because I mean, they tried to find different things to do with him. Uh, I know he he had that brief time where he was dating Stacy Keebler on screen, and then I want to say he RKO'd her. And yeah, he did. Go, yeah, and that was leading into his feud with the Undertaker, which uh, which came from uh, from what I'm reading here. Said Billy Graham made an appearance that advised Orton to go where no wrestler had ever gone before, and so that was when he decided to try to take on the undertaker and uh they had a really great series of matches oh yeah um, definitely i mean they, they their wrestlemania 21 encounter was very good and so was their uh summer slam yeah and even the one with with uh bob even though they did the goofy i can't see what's in the mirror thing with bob. <laughs> <laughs> even though they did that like they, that was actually a pretty good match with uh when there was a handicap match and um but um but yeah, and I remember like the coolest thing about that was uh, Jake Jake Roberts showed up to tell him not to underestimate the Undertaker. I remember that vividly because it was like you know Randy's kind of like this new version of Jake, like he's just cool and calm and you know just cunning and all these things, and, and that's how Jake was, you know. So I thought that was kind of a almost a passing of the torch 
and and that maybe that made more of a impression on me than other people, but it's something I I absolutely remember from that time. So, um, I'm trying to think here. So I was kind of out of wrestling between WrestleMania 20 and WrestleMania 25. So there was about a five year gap there where a lot of these things probably won't uh, don't stick out to me too much. Um, but I do remember, and I, I don't intend to skip over anything, but I do remember the reason I came back was because I got invested in the Randy Orton Triple H storyline going into WrestleMania 25. Which ended up not being, I mean, I know we're talking about Randy Orton, but that match, to me, didn't live up to the hype. Like, And I think I think they were plagued by the fact that the Undertaker-Shawn Michaels match happened yeah. right before it. Which even they said that should have went. That should have been the last match because it just took the. It, it nothing could compare. Nothing could follow it. No, and and I'll be honest. Like I was living with my roommate at the time, and I was watching WrestleMania and drinking beer on my laptop, or I was drinking beer and watching WrestleMania on my laptop. And <clears throat> after that, Shawn Michaels Undertaker match, and like I said, the whole reason I bought the pay per view was because I was invested. I enjoyed the Randy Orton. Like he punted Vince in the head. Then he punted Shane in the head. Then he gave an RKO to Stephanie, and you knew where it was going. Right. And eventually, you know, they have this real blood feud with him and Triple H. But I remember as soon as that Shawn Michaels Undertaker match went off, I was like, I don't even care about that now. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the whole reason I wanted to watch it, and, and now I don't even care about it. And um, so, and we, we got about 20 minutes left, so we might skip around a little bit. Um, I know, so. Um, I, I, know, would he, think, I would think Orton kind of had a career resurgence when they paired him with Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase because right around that time is where the legacy grew. Again, you had there's uh-huh. a couple more third generation stars, Ted DiBiase and Cody Rhodes. Yep, and that was actually around that time uh, going into WrestleMania 25 because I want to say Backlash they had a triple threat and that's where Orton actually won the title was it was him Cody and uh, Ted DiBiase versus Vince. Triple H and Shane, I want to say. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and that was it was a good feud, and you know he had his his ongoing thing with um, with John Cena that never ended. It was kind of like him and Sheamus, and and really that's that's the thing with with Randy Orton. It seems like he's either booked extremely well, like he is right now, where they have a clear direction where they want him to go. He's doing a little bit of the Legend Killer thing. He's doing a little bit of challenging for the title. He's cold and calculating and all that. And then they have times where they don't know what they want to do with him. And he's just this, like, he's either a bland, boring baby face or he's not really integral to the show. And I think well, that's... It's like you were talking earlier about having that definitive ending. It's like him and Cena, when they had that feud in 2009, they just kept going back and forth, back and forth between pay-per-views. And got to a point where it was like, man, I'm so sick of seeing these two main eventing every damn show in 2009. Oh and yeah! They tried every different variation of match to try to get people to care, but at a certain point, you didn't care anymore. It's like, I mean, who, who cares? The next month, the other person's going to get the win back. So nope. And what's what's the point of it? It doesn't it doesn't make either one of them look good. And you know that's at a time where those two were the two biggest. I'm not. I'm saying faces just in general, not faces and good guys. But those were the two biggest faces in the company. Because I want to say that was well, Batista was still around then, but. But they were they were the guys, and you know to have them go back and forth like that just kind of tore both of them down a little bit. 
when you could have been using them to work in new other guy, you know, other talent and give other talent an opportunity to wrestle who were the top dogs at that moment. And I just feel like that, that, you know, they, then they try to act like it's some kind of dream match, but we've seen it so many times that nobody cares anymore. And it's unfortunate because they're extremely talented guys and they do have good chemistry, but it just, they, they beat it into the ground. And, and unfortunately that's been a, a constant thing in Randy's career. I mean, he's an incredibly talented wrestler. I mean, just in general, he doesn't rely on big gimmicks. He doesn't rely on, you know, uh, flashy stuff in the ring. He's very slow and methodical and it's, it's kind of a joke to, at some point, but at the same time, he doesn't, he's a, a classic old school type performer. He puts on a solid match that has psychology and it has, he does a lot of great things in the ring. And I, I don't know if you feel that way too, but that that's just kind of how I look at Randy is I look at him as a, as a throwback wrestler. Oh yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I think one of the, uh, one of his greatest pairings though, is uh, we'll talk about too, that we kind of skipped over was his association with edge when they were rated RKO. Definitely. I thought they Definitely. were very entertaining and just a good uh, duo that complemented each other very well. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, Edge is, as is, Edge is that guy that can, I mean, he's also a great wrestler. And, and he was, he's definitely more the, the personable of the two, um, as far as character wise. But yeah, they were, they were a good pairing and, and they were a great rivalry here, um, at this past WrestleMania and going into, uh, Backlash where they had the greatest wrestling match ever. Or whatever, whatever they were calling it. <laughs> yeah, that's what it, <laughs> what it was touted as. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, uh, I really enjoyed this this last. I'm kind of skipping around a little bit, but we only got about 15 minutes left. So, um, this last heel run started with uh, him wiping the face paint on off of Jeff Hardy and pu- trying to pull his uh, earring out of his ear. Like th- that, that stuff was disturbing and like super 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 heel randy orton and that's exactly what how they need to book him in my opinion but and he's what, well right now too he's given some of the best promos he's 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 ever been given i mean there's a lot of truth placed in him but he's also very confident i mean you can tell from the time he did his first promo to now just how much he has matured and how better he's gotten on the mic and that you know that's part of part of wrestling is being able to deliver a good promo and make it believable so that people mm-hmm. will invest in your character definitely definitely and it's it's crazy how, how how great he is as a heel and how boring he is as a face because we were watching uh what was that like the monday night war thing on um on the network and he was on there talking about goldberg and he had us both in stitches like talking about how he's gonna watch goldberg spear some mother effers and all this stuff and like <laughs> He's actually very like he's very funny. Like his his uh, social media presence has been incredibly integral to his character lately, because it's really getting him some real heel heat with the way that he's he's picking at people and like the leg slap thing or uh, uh, I can't even think of the other op- uh, instances that's off the top of my head. But I know he's really used social media as a platform to enhance his character, and it's it's worked out well for him so far. Yeah, I mean he's he's definitely had a had a Hall of Fame career, and I think he's to the point in his career now where he's where he's established himself, and he's wanting to put over the younger talent. Like I said, he 
he ha- had no problem putting over Keith Lee. I think he said he's he liked to work with Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano, but those yeah. guys I don't think kind of I don't think want to leave NXT. So I don't know if we'll ever see those yeah. matches happen. Yeah, I, that's I I had heard that uh, because of injuries and things that that they were talking about maybe doing a quick Ciampa Orton program on Raw, but something happened where uh, I think it was Gender got hurt. And they had to pull Orton to do to do the feud with Drew instead, and it it's worked out well. I mean, unfortunately, I, I would have loved to see Champa and him go at it because they're just both they're cut from that same cloth, um, and it would have been a great <clears throat> contrast of styles in the ring. But their promo styles are very similar, but it just didn't work out. So maybe down the road we'll see that. I think he's doing great work with Drew too. Like you said, he put over Keith Lee. He put over Drew clean uh, at SummerSlam in the main event. And I think I think he's gone, you know, I told you in a private conversation, I think he's gone from the legend killer, you know, he's legend killer on screen, but he's becoming the legend maker in reality uh, yeah. because yeah. it means something when you beat Randy Orton. And, uh, you know, as much as, you know, we've got sick over of him over the years because he's constantly been there. He hasn't, I mean, he takes little vacations, and but he hasn't been hurt significantly over the past few years he stayed relatively healthy so we've seen a lot of him and unfortunately familiar familiar i can't talk familiarity breeds contempt and you know i think that's a lot of what people's issue is with him is we've just seen so much of him that we're not appreciating him as a performer and you know this last run has really opened my eyes to just how great he is in the ring and now as far as picking his worst year I think I'd pick 2009. He's a 13-time world champion. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you five or six of those reigns were in 2009 alone. Was that because... when he was part of the authority? No, no. this is what, it was the few you know, where they kept hot potato in the title back and forth. Oh, and, then okay. they, and then they had that, he had had that match at No Mercy. I think that was in 2007. He, him and Triple H, there were five title changes yeah. that, that night. So it was like, man. Yeah, that that devalues your title. I don't. I I'm never a fan of that. I know that was the big thing during the Attitude Era was the to hot potato the titles a little bit, but it I think it just devalues that that title uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I'm I'm always a big fan of longer title reigns. So like Drew McIntyre right now, <laughs> he has elevated the WWE title mm-hmm. to to great heights because he's been a fighting champion. He's held on to that title for since WrestleMania. So mm-hmm. there, so the title is of great value right now because of Definitely, the way he's yeah. carried himself as as the champion. Who your title's on that's going to determine how that title is valued. Yeah, I mean, for some people, it's just a prop. I mean, and you can't just throw it on somebody and make them credible. I mean, we we saw that with gender. It was that was a, a waste of everybody's time, and you know, I understand why they did it out of business reason, but. But it just it didn't work out the way they thought it was going to. And but with Drew, you know, he 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 gets elevated that main event level and then by winning the Royal Rumble and then he's he's on fire. He beats Brock Lesnar in what three minutes, four minutes, something like that. Yeah, it was like five minutes, I think, though, man. <clears throat> yeah. And then in the same night, you know, they even admit on TV he beats the big show. And that wow, you just killed two giants on your first night as champion. And that that is a good start to it, but he's like you said, he's continued to carry himself well. And Orton's a guy that I don't think he needs a title. Like 
he could be anywhere on that card and it's a credible and an important part of the card to me. And oh, I yeah. Think... Go yeah, ahead, he, sorry. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't need it. But also, too, Orton, I think Orton has matured a lot because in the past we've heard stories about him. Like, there's one instance where he crapped in somebody's bag. Yeah. I think it was one. I think it was one of the one of the girls that that he did that to, and he did. I guess he just did all kinds of horrible things, where he should have been fired several times, and and never was because he was picked as one one, one yeah. of the favorites. Yeah, and he's uh, he's had a couple of times where he's he or three or four times he's failed the PED tests, and it's you know he's been given more chances than a lot of people. Uh, for his behavior but I, I honestly the way the impression that I get is that you know his new marriage and his children have really maybe softened the edge a little bit I mean he's in his 40s now so it's maybe it's just time for him to grow up a little bit and we haven't heard any of those backstage stories in a while and haven't seen him that he's failed a you know performance enhancing drug tests in a while so hopefully he's he's right in the ship and and is more of a veteran presence backstage at a time when they really need that. And uh, yeah, he, he, he trolls people on social media like he did with Champa, but that was because he was, he was going to start a program with Champa. I mean, more right, or less exactly. when he doesn't now, it's because he's, he's wanting to gain interest to want to start a program with, with these guys that he's talking about. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I more or less, and you know, he used AEW to get a better contract out of WWE. And he, I think him and Will Osprey got into it on Twitter as well. I know Osprey and um, Seth Rollins were going back and forth, but I believe he got into it with Will Osprey too. And you know, it's it's bringing a highlight to not only Osprey but Randy Orton as well. So I don't see it as a bad thing. I see that as a he's continuing to play that character. You know, I just assume his social media is in character. You know, there's there's times where you know you see him out with his family and stuff, but. For the most part, it seems like he's he's using that as a platform to to continue to help himself be a draw. So, but that, like I said, that's just the way that I see that. I don't know if you you think the same way or not. No, no, I I absolutely do. I mean, he's uh-huh. you know seeing seeing where where he started and where he is now. He's by and far one of the best performers in the company and one of the best heels right now, uh, oh. without a doubt, in the company. That's why I was so looking forward to the match with him and Drew McIntyre at SummerSlam. And mm-hmm. they both delivered. Yeah, it was a great. I thought it was great. Um, I know I've seen some some things where people weren't that that crazy about it, but I thought it was great. And um, you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, the the book's not finished on him yet. I think he's got a lot left to give to the wrestling business. I don't know when he intends on retiring, but you know, uh, I think I think there's still a lot to be to be given. It's not like our Shawn Michaels episode where we know, well, as far as we know that's that's the end of his career yeah uh, <clears throat> and you know randy still got a lot to go and 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 just like sean you know this was he was a pretty bunch of all wwe guy um other than you know sean was in awa but you know the majority of his you know fame and fortune and notoriety came from wwe just like randy orton so i think maybe with the with our next one of these maybe we'll career retrospect we'll we'll do somebody that's been around the world a little bit but um, I maybe or maybe like a Ric Flair or something that'd be like a two-parter. But <laughs> yeah, or Sting because Sting, Sting's 
men around. I'd, I'd love to do an episode on him. Yeah, that would be actually that would be pretty good. We might plan on doing that one next then. Um, just just to give people, you know, like I said, we don't want to come off as just WWE fanboys. I mean, it's we we obviously are very aware and honest that we are big WWE fans, but we do like other types of wrestling. We do we are aware that it exists outside of the context of WWE. So um so we'll definitely be looking forward to that. Uh we'll be back next Tuesday and we don't really have a plan yet for that show, but we'll once we get something together, we'll post it on social media, let you guys know what it's gonna be about. Uh Jesse, you have anything else you wanna wanna share with us tonight or get off your chest or anything like that? No, just um I've been watching past episodes now of the of the May Young Classic on NXT, and mm-hmm. it, it's just boggling, you know, to me how a great batch of women's wrestlers that there are. Like I'm watching now the one where the one Ky- Kyrie Sane won, and Shayna mm-hmm. Baszler just came off in that whole tournament as this very as the very classic bitchy heel. Yeah, that, you know, you want to boo. The only one she showed respect to was Mercedes Martinez, who was her mentor, who actually oh. trained her in the business. But everybody okay. else, she just wouldn't shake hands with. She was very um, antagonizing toward him. She was that very classic heel that uh, she, you know, she pulled it off very well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, women's wrestling is blown up, and not just because of the evolution, uh, it, or the revolution, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's been it's been a growing thing, and it's it's really cool to see. And I'm glad that they're getting that that credibility that you know that they're not just in. Uh, bra and panties matches anymore they're actually you know credible performers so i I do miss the pudding matches though (laughs) (laughs) well on that note (laughs) uh obviously we'd uh we'd like to have your subscription to us on uh, apple podcasts or spotify or whatever type of you know app that you want to listen to us on and uh please tell your friends about us like us on facebook and um you know, definitely continue to join us on this journey. We we are having a blast, and we like sharing this with everybody and and being a part of uh, part of something bigger than ourselves, hopefully. And um, uh, thank you all from uh, from Johnny Podcast and Jesse the Body. We'll wish you good night, and we're going to tag out. Jesse, good night, my friend. All right, good night. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks.